Welcome to the Rich Roll Podcast, episode 90, with Dr. Sijit Sharma and Liddell Hill. The Rich Roll Podcast. Greetings, audience. How's it going? It's Rich Roll here. It's the Rich Roll Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you stopping by. What do we do here on a weekly basis? And for free, I might add, I do my best to bring you the best, most forward-thinking paradigm-busting minds in wellness, fitness, athleticism, creativity, diet, art, nutrition, entrepreneurship, personal growth, and spirituality, the people that are rocking the tools and the knowledge and the experience and the inspiration that you need to discover, uncover, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. 90 episodes. I can't believe it can't believe we've done 90. I feel like I've been doing this my whole life. And I also feel like I just started, but I can say this. I feel like I'm finally starting to figure out how to do this and how to do this right. Not that I, not that I'm any kind of expert or whatever. I'm actually thinking, God, it took me 90 episodes to figure out kind of how to conduct myself and how to interview people. But I don't know. I feel like we've hit a little groove lately. The guests have been fantastic. And Uh, The audience continues to grow. So thanks, you guys, for sharing it with your peers and with your friends. I appreciate that. And uh, I am pumped to bring you today's guests, two people that I'm sure you've never heard of before or probably have never heard of. But at the end of this interview, you are going to be glad that I introduced you to them. But before we do that, here's the question of the day. What do you do if you're practicing pediatric medicine and every single Day, you see more and more kids coming into your office that aren't just overweight, they're not just fat, they're obese. And they're not just obese, but they're sick, and in many cases, really sick. Well, you can do what most doctors do. You can tell them to uh, you know, kick the bad dietary habits to the curb, stop it with all the cocoa puffs. Uh, maybe get outside a little bit more and quit it with all the video game playing, et cetera. Maybe in certain cases, prescribe some kind of medication uh, and then move on. You only got 15 minutes per patient. You got a business to run here. That's the only way you can make it work and you can't get too invested in any particular patient. That's how most uh, doctors I have been informed operate. And I sympathize with that because of the constraints of the way their businesses sort of uh constructed. But uh, there's an alternative. And the alternative is to try to find a way to do something about it, something real and something preventative. And that's where Dr. Sujit Sharma comes in after a fellowship at Harvard Medical School and full-time employment as an emergency room pediatrician, as well as editor of three medical textbooks. uh, Dr. Sharma realized that he needed to do something more with his life and to address what he was seeing on a daily basis in his office. And through uh, a mutual friend, a mutual friend of mine and a mutual friend of his, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, the, the chief medical correspondent at CNN, who happens to be a college buddy of uh, Sigits. They went to University of Michigan together, so they Michigan, they, they go way, way back. Anyway, uh, Sanjay connected Sigit with uh, his friend Liddell Hill, uh, and Liddell is a fascinating guy. <laughs> Liddell has been spending the last 20 years researching and experimenting with nutrition. 
He's a molecular health specialist, an herbalist, a fitness trainer, and a wellness expert who grew up learning about natural healing from his Native American grandfather, kind of a holistic uh, upbringing, if you will. And part of what Liddell does is he's sort of a celebrity fitness trainer. He's worked with all kinds of people like Kate Hudson and Gwen Stefani and Lenny Kravitz and Steve Harvey. He's been featured on CNN as a health and wellness expert. Uh, But he's also studied tirelessly for years to try to understand how to best apply this wisdom that his grandfather uh, sort of preached to him throughout his childhood uh, and apply that to Liddell's practice of of health and wellness uh, for himself and and on behalf of his clients. And what he's come to realize uh, is that science is now substantiating so much of what he learned back in the day, which is really cool. Uh, This guy is a walking specimen of health and fitness. Uh, he is approaching 50 years old, and uh, the guy is absolutely ripped. He's jacked. The guy's got massive guns. It's unbelievable. And uh, if you don't believe me, you can check out the little preview clip on YouTube, uh, or it's on, uh, at richroll.com, a little trailer for this episode where I sit down and kind of explain what we're going to talk about today, and uh, you get a good glimpse of this guy's guns and <laughs> what he's all about. So anyway... Uh, Sujit and Liddell connected, and, and Liddell had started this company called Choose and Choose C H U I C E. Choose is essentially how do I describe it? It's essentially like juice that's food. It's chewable juice, right? Which is sort of weird. Right? So he had started this thing, and and Sujit kind of connected with him, and they they decided to partner up on it. Um, to uh, build it into a real business. And it's kind of interesting um, to hear them talk about, you know, this thing. And and I got introduced to these guys because Sanjay emailed me and he's like, listen, Rich, I got these friends, Sujit and Liddell. I've known them forever. I go way back with these guys. Uh, They're doing lots of interesting things in in the health space. I think you would... uh, you guys would have a lot to talk about. Uh, you're kind of interested in the same things, et cetera, et cetera. And he just introduced me to them with no expectation of anything. And so I ended up uh, getting on the phone with Sujit and I thought, oh, we'll, we'll talk for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Sanjay introduced us, you know, we'll see what this guy's all about. And we ended up talking for like two hours. It's a fascinating conversation. I knew that I wanted to have him and his business partner, Liddell, on the podcast. So, of course, we talk about what Juice is and, and their product and, and this new company that they're starting and growing right now. Uh, but really, our conversation is predominantly about the status of healthcare in America, our problems with health, with heart disease and obesity and diabetes and child, you know, what's going on with kids and how can we address this and how can we more effectively uh, prevent, treat and message, uh, you know, not just the American public, but the world at large about what is going on and how we can do better. Um, and just for purposes of total transparency and clarity, uh, I'm not uh, sponsored by Choose. I'm, I haven't been paid to say anything about these guys. Uh, I have no business relationship with them whatsoever. I just like these guys. I wanted to have them on. I wanted them to share their story and talk about what they're doing. And that's it. And I think that uh, this is a fascinating, very dynamic conversation with uh, two really interesting people. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed sitting down with them. So without further ado, let's dig into it. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I 
love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but Basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And 
With that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Why don't you tell me a little bit about why you guys are in LA? You're from, you're both from Atlanta, but I want to hear, we'll get into the whole backstory and all of that, but what brings you to LA? Well, we're uh, here to try and spread the message of what we're doing, trying to, you know, execute a larger vision of finding a way to make our plant-based product and the message of, you know, this is the kind of food or the type of vehicle to help change, you know, culture, society, however you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we wanted to come out here to help build awareness in a, in a place where we already know this, there's a lot of interest. People are already into it here. (laughs) It's an easy conversion out here. Yeah, it is. And, And we've noticed that. So, you know, we're dabbling in trying to just meet the you know, people who are interested in listening and finding out how right. we can build that awareness. Yeah, cool. I mean, what is the uh, kind of perception of the plant-based lifestyle in Atlanta or throughout the South? Yeah, I think it's still new. It's I new, think, you yeah. know, Like the rest of America, I mean, if you have physicians like me who um, themselves don't see or don't quite know what even the literature is starting to show in terms of the benefits of how can the rest of America, you know, who go to their doctors all the time, know about what all of this, what people like yourself are mm-hmm. promoting and, and showing, demonstrating physically on their, themselves and what they're able to do, being plant-powered and, um, you know, what research is also showing, but trying to then convert that into, a, you know, knowledge, information, then giving choices. I think mm-hmm. this is what we're trying to do. We're saying that we're coming to market with a product that Liddell and you'll hear, you know, his story about it, but a product, you know, that really in the end has a higher concept. It's like, we need to build some interest in getting this concept off the ground so that we can have an impact on more people mm-hmm. and prevent disease. Right. And the what is, how do you, how do you articulate what the concept is? And the concept is that, um, this is a product that brings the worlds of, juicing of herbs of overall nutrition and benefit uh, together in one place where you mm-hmm. have I mean you know the uh, scientifically our cells in order to get energy make energy happen 
uh, they need three basic things. They need either ca- uh, carbohydrates, mm-hmm. protein, or fats. And that's where you're going to you know, burn fuel in the engine of our cells. So we still need all three of those things, although there is obvious confusion, I think, out there for people. Um, the Internet, is, uh, the digital era has made it very easy to get a lot of information uh, sort of thrown at you. Mm-hmm. And hard, it's hard to parse it out. But the fact is our, our cells have not changed in a million years. And uh, they need certain things to function. And we're bringing to market a product that actually brings all of those things into one. Carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, mm-hmm. and minerals, vitamins, and most of all, fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are basic essential nutrients. And I think a few years from now, if this goes right, people look back and say, wow, how come this didn't, something like this hasn't come out sooner? Right. And, and for the listener out there, the product is called Chews, C-H-U-I-C-E. And essentially, it's like this uh, hybrid between juice and, and, uh, and what? Like a chew, chewable food. So it's called chew, chewable juice is how you describe it, which sounds weird, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you never heard of that, like, yeah. you're going, what? Like, that just, I don't know about that. Like, there's a, I guess there's a certain sort of mental barrier that you have to get over. I mean, we were just having some in the kitchen before the podcast. The stuff is delicious and you drink it and you chew it and you eat it and you're like, of course, this is amazing, you know, but I think there is that kind of hurdle that you're going to have to, you know, sort of deal with people who are, who are sort of struggling with this concept and this idea of what is, is it juice or is it not? Like, I don't get it. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing conceptually is that we, I think the, the most valuable commodity in our culture is convenience. We live, mm-hmm. in, we live in an era now where we really expect convenience. You know, we walk around with these powerful computers that are sit in our pocket that are you know, definitely more powerful than those first desktop computers we had when we were in college, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it's unbelievable where we've come. So we want things at our fingertips. We want things that make our lives easier and, you know, more so than when we were all kids. And so this is something that does at least attend to convenience, but also attends to nutritional need. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I think for me, it's just now it's simple, it's intuitive, but for a lot of people, you know, I think there is that education part to make it get to that level. Where right. I see, see so it. you're on the road, you're, you're, you're on the, the train stop tour, right? Exactly. To try to, exactly. <laughs> it's fun. Know, it's explain a, it to people. But it sounds like everywhere you go, when you kind of, you know, do the, when you introduce it to people and they experience what it is that they're, you know, they get to the other side of that and they're like, Oh, I, you know, I get it. This is great. Absolutely. You know? So you guys are in, you were here because you were down at PC Greens, which is a uh, grocery, like a high-end kind of organic grocery uh, store in Malibu, and they're going to be carrying it as like a pilot program, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's cool. It's exciting. It is exciting. It's, you know, it's like any entrepreneurial kind of activity. It is, uh, you get nervous, you wonder, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's what makes it exciting is the fact that you don't know the outcome right now, but it's just, it's heartening to get the response from people that we do. Right. So, I mean, and as an entrepreneur, when you look at, you know, this sort of a new business, you say, well, what is the problem and how, how is what I'm doing going to solve that problem? And you guys really have identified this, this niche, this thing that no one has ever done before. You're sort of bridging food and and juice and, and, uh, and, and really it's completely unique. I mean, there's nothing else like it out there, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. We were, I never thought I'd be doing something like this three years ago. You know, and so here I am. And so I'm just kind of pinching myself every day and like, 
but excited. Now. Right. So you were just happily practicing medicine in Atlanta, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And then and what happens? Like Liddell comes over and puts you in a stranglehold or like, <laughs> how does this go down? It came, you know, it, it was a intellectual debate. Um, I was a typical doctor mm-hmm. uh, who I had, I thought I understood nutrition and turns out I didn't. Uh, and I was skeptical of just with the knowledge, you know, first, I mean, I went to Liddell when I turned 40 to try to get my athleticism back. And, you know, when I was waning, a lot of us going through our, you know, towards our middle age, we start to get into a comfort zone where we enjoy food and drinks and indulge in life. And you start to see yourself sink into something, a sense of complacency. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what that's like. I have no familiarity <laughs> <Yeah>. with that. <laughs> so, you, you, you know, so yeah. it, this is, and this is, you know, this is every day. And I think it's people why they identify with your story too, because it's just, it's, it's our nature. You know, mm-hmm. we just, we go through these cycles in our life. And Liddell impressed me first with his, just his understanding as a trainer, just physically. I like biomechanics, you know, like I'm a, I'm a science geek at heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, so as an athlete, you know, as a younger, I think that's what got me interested in medicine, finding out how things work. Mm-hmm. Turned out Liddell had an unbelievable breadth of knowledge. He was a trainer's trainer. And so I was impressed first with that. But when he started introducing me to the nutritional concepts, he was, I was, I was a skeptic and I just, I didn't, I didn't buy it. And right. so it would be a lot of, you know, you're like, who's this trainer trying to tell I'm the Harvard doctor. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And that's some balls on you too, to be like, listen, man, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what's really going on here. Right. Well, well that was amazing is his <laughs> patience, you know, his patience yeah. with me. And so it, it was, it was fantastic then to come around and realize, man, he's right. This is, you know, I think there's more of a cultural problem at heart too, but he was, he's just, it was like, this makes sense. And then when he first introduced me to the product, I was also skeptical. I was like, what? is this chunky, you know, liquid kind of thing coming out. He started walking me through it and I just became a believer. Mm -hmm. I was just converted. At that point, I realized that this is a solution oriented product. This is something that actually can help people because of that attaining to convenience. Right. So it's neat. And, uh, and, and so Liddell, like, tell me a little bit about, you know, this sort of interaction with Sujit. I mean, He's, you know, what is it, what is, what was his perspective on nutrition and how did you challenge him on that? And, you know, where are you coming from on this spectrum? Well, actually I met, um, <clears throat> Sidget through, uh, Sanjay uh-huh. and, um, I used to have these conversations with Sanjay about health and he used to, uh, come at me at a medical perspective and I used to, Shocking. Come, yeah, I used to, come, I used to, uh, communicate with him with what I had learned from my grandfather as a child with the plants and herbs. And he didn't understand my world. I didn't really understand his world. So I took it upon myself uh, for probably approximately about 13 years to start picking up medical books because we became really good friends. And I really, we were working out together. So I had to have some form of a conversation. So once I went through the whole entire body, with learning about the cellular structure of the body, the organs, <clears throat> what they require to run efficiently. It took me back to what my grandfather had taught me about plants, herbs. And I, um, I went back to Sidget. He introduced me to Sidget, actually. And uh, I used to talk to Sidget about, hey, look, you eat this plant, this particular chemical compound helps the stimulation of this particular enzyme to get rid of inflammation from working out. And he challenged me. And he went and done his homework and came back. And it was, it was probably, I would say, seven years of convincing. 
Uh-huh. So just, just very slow, like wax on, wax off. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> absolutely. Well, that's interesting. So Sanjay is sort of challenging you, which makes you sort of hit the books in a new way to educate yourself, right? And kind of raise the bar on, on what you know so that you can engage in these conversations at a higher level. But all of this, the more information that you're getting from all these books you're reading, it's taking you back to your youth and your relationship with your grandfather. Yes, it is. Right. So it's coming, it's coming back. It's almost working in reverse. Like the more you learn, the more you realize like you knew all along. Right. Exactly. And so explain to me like how you grew up and, and you know, who your grandfather was. Well, I grew up in uh, Tennessee and I grew up on a farm. My grandfather, he's a part Native American. He couldn't read, write, or drive, but he knew plants and he knew herbs. So he used to take me out when I was, I, I would say, six, seven years old. And he used to introduce me to plants. And he said, you're going to consume these plants for the rest of your life if you want to become big and strong and like me. So I just started practicing it. Was he, was he a big guy? Was he a strong guy? Uh, yeah, he was, he was fairly a big guy. He was mm-hmm. probably 6'3 and I would say around 220. And he was saying, if you want to get big and strong, you got to eat these plants. You got to eat these plants. And um, I was always fascinated by my grandfather. And uh, I just stuck to his regimen all through my teens. And when I hit around 20, I moved to California. And then I got involved with the bodybuilding world and started taking the protein powders. And, and closer to my later 20s, early 30s, I started finding myself having issues with inflammation from knee problems to hip problems to skin abnormalities to you name it all the above and that's how what I learned from Sanjay I realized that there was a certain time in your life when when you slow down the production of all these enzymes that slow down aging process fight chronic and debilitating illnesses that took me back to my grandfather because I realized that when he was 80 90 years old, he didn't have some of these chronic and debilitating illnesses mm-hmm. that's going on today. And where did your grandfather learn all of this? Where did he get his knowledge? He was passed down. So this is like a, an oral tradition? Yes. And what, what tribe was he? Cherokee. Cherokee, wow. Uh-huh. And so is that like a, I mean, is in the Cherokee tradition is sort of plant-based medicine or sort of plant-based nutrition something that is part of that culture? Because I'd never really, I don't really know that much about it. Yeah, he, my grandfather, his, he was a probably 75% plant-based. Mm-hmm. So, um, and was he like, what did he do? I mean, was he like a, like a medicine man guy or yeah, he was yeah. a medicine man. It was, it's a very small town, uh, in Lebanon. It's called Lebanon, Tennessee. Mm. And, uh, when people used to get sick in his community, he used to go out in the woods and get these particular herbs, sassafras, you name it. Uh-huh. And he used to, um, help people. They used to come to him when they were sick or any forms of illnesses, and he had some remedy for them. So I grew up watching him and learning from him, and I always respected that because people respected him. He couldn't read or write or drive, just a team of mules and a, and a tractor, and um, he was always looked upon as, you know, a crazy man right. until, you know, now I realize that he was very wise. He was right all along. And so, I mean, when did, when did you kind of have that initial realization? I mean, was it in the wake of your bodybuilding experience or when did you start to really kind of think, think about things in a different way nutritionally? When I hit, um, around 35, cause I'm now, 
getting ready to be 50. So I realized that my skin. Dude, you're almost 50. I can't believe uh, that. Wow. I'll be 50 in June. For the listener out there, this guy's crazy shape. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So when I hit around 35, I realized that my skin texture changed. And then I, you know, just started feeling joint problems from old football injuries. And I realized that it was some of this chemical compounds that I was ingesting from either protein powders or, you know, whatever processed food that's out there. And he, he was not exposed to processed food. He just walked out in the garden and ate a raw sweet potato. And that's what I did the, primarily the majority of my life. So mm-hmm. that's how it came about. I've been practicing this for probably around, I would say, 25 years or so. And um, I just it just made sense to me to go back to what he taught me, make it convenient for me when I'm on the road, when I'm moving around, when I'm working out, have it with me. And uh, it's chewable. And, and it makes sense to chew it because uh, obviously that's the sta- first stage of digestion is to chew. Uh, it secretes that enzyme that breaks down the material that you're consuming, which are complex carbohydrates, because it's pretty much fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so t- talk me through the, the sort of coming from. So you're you're in this bodybuilding phase. You're taking all this whey protein. You're starting to have these inflammation problems and sore joints, etc. Um, but is there a moment where you say, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to my grandfather's way. I'm gonna start eating plants." And and you know, how did that <clears throat> change how you felt? How did your how did your body change in response to that? And you know, how did that challenge you or maybe your ideas at the time about what, you know, somebody who's an athlete, you know, what they needed and in order to sort of either compete or just be strong and fit and healthy? Well, that goes right back to Sanjay when I was learning the human body and how the cells work and your pancreas and all these different organs and what they do. And uh, when you feed them uh, correctly, it just makes your body run more efficiently. So what I learned was that uh, when I was consuming all these chemical compounds, I, was, uh, I studied the liver, and it has to secrete certain enzymes that break down certain chemical compounds. And as you get older, you slow down the production of it. So it took me back to what my grandfather, I'm like, why is it that my grandfather had pretty flawless skin, but here I am, 35 years old, and I have skin abnormalities. So, mm-hmm. you know, once I got into the medical books, I started understanding what your body needs, what the cells need to rejuvenate and secrete these enzymes efficiently. Mm-hmm. And, and what, and what is that? Like what was the answer to that for you? Plant-based, you know, mm-hmm. and I started, I really got into indigenous cultures and really that was the icing on the cake for me, uh, so to speak, icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. And, um, once I started studying indigenous cultures, I realized that their diet was a lot of plants and they didn't have some of the chronic and debilitating illnesses that we have in this country. Also, they didn't have, I couldn't find that they had periodontal disease and skin abnormalities and even brain abnormalities. And it took me straight to that diet. Once I dissected their diet, I realized it was so similar to what my grandfather was teaching me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now you're starting to, you're realizing benefits in your own life, right? As a result of eating this way, your skin repairs itself or what are the other kind of changes that you experience well when you consume a lot of the plants you're consuming chemical compounds that help your organs secrete these enzymes that get rid of inflammation for those that have inflammation Mm -hmm. or if you are an extreme athlete 
and you need the recovery. You're getting bioavailable fuel, vitamins, minerals, trace minerals, everything your body requires. So it's um, it just made more sense to me. I uh, have tons of energy. I don't eat quite as much as most people. People can't mm-hmm. believe that I eat maybe one or two meals a week. And it's usually fish or salad. I mostly live off of this product. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you're just you're just living off of juice, and other than that, you're only eating a one or two meals a week yes. outside of uh, outside of the juice. Yes. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah. That's intense, man. Yeah. Interesting. You, you know, if you study indigenous cultures, they usually consume a lot of plants on a daily uh-huh. basis, and you get everything your body requires just from plants and nuts and seeds. And uh, here in this country, we have a tendency to eat an abundant amount of food and we are already slowing down the production mm-hmm. of digestive enzymes. So what is it, what's going to happen it normally just sits in the stomach. Well, what we do is we eat a tremendous amount of food, but it's very nutritionally poor. You know, it's low in phytonutrients, low in phytochemicals, low in minerals and vitamins, trace minerals, all that sort of stuff. So it's very, but it's very high in calories, high in fat, high in salt and sugar, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, we get fat, we get diabetes, we're obese. We have all these, you know, chronic conditions. It's incredibly inflammatory. It contributes to a state of chronic acidosis, which we're now learning is behind all of these diseases that, you know, plague Western developed societies and my experience. And I always try to root it in, you know, I'm not a doctor and I, you know, like yourself, I try to root it in my own experience. And as an athlete, all I can say is that it's not that eating a plant-based diet inherently makes me stronger or faster or a better athlete, but because it's so anti-inflammatory, it allows me to push myself harder and recover more quickly. And when you protract that out of, uh, over the course of a number of months or years or, you know, a season or what have you, that's going to translate into tremendous performance gains. If by no other reason that you're not getting sick, you're not getting overtired, you're not going to overtrain, like all you're just you're just operating like at a higher level on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, agree. No, I agree. hundred <laughs> percent. Can't one. anything of that. It's, right, it's absolutely true. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media.
So, uh, in your practice as a trainer, are you starting to kind of, you know, preach a little bit or you're trying to impart this knowledge to your clients and how does that go? Absolutely. I have uh, <laughs> quite a few, so, um, football players and yeah. all, tons of athletes now are getting, you're like minutes. the guy I'm getting the idea that like in Atlanta, you're the guy, you're the go-to guy, the go-to <laughs> trainer guy, right? Um, Sijit can answer yeah. that question, right? He is, right? He's Liddell's about quality over quantity. So uh-huh. he's, you know, he's, the clients that he's gotten, you know, have just stuck with him for years. Right. And he doesn't like to overburden himself and diminish the quality of what the messages he delivers. Mm-hmm. So he just does a good job of balancing. He's always taught me that like about life. Right. Life's about balance. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, tr- I consider him the trainer's trainer. But, uh, you know, it's a competitive world out there and everyone's going to have their views, but I'm biased and I just, I'm, yeah, I, I would agree with that. All right. But back to the question here. All right. So you're working with these football players. Yes. I'm working with football players and basketball players and they've noticed a tremendous, um, actually their recovery is so much better. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's. It's going exactly the way I anticipated it would. It just took me many, many, many years to uh, stick to what I believe in and just stay on the grind and practice. And Mm -hmm. now people are receiving it. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, we were talking a little bit about this before, you know, before we were recording that, you know, all all anybody has to do is look at you and go, you're kidding. You're, you're almost 50 or, you know, that's unbelievable. And you're in incredible physical shape. You got giant guns, you know, (laughs) and it's unfortunate that our society works this way, but that's a powerful thing. Like that's more powerful. Like how your arms look is just as important as what comes out of your mouth because the proof is in the pudding. Right. And clearly, uh, if you're walking your talk and this is a way that you look, then that is, you know, that's a program of attraction rather than promotion because people just get it. They look at you. Well, if you're doing that and you look that way, like I want, I want that for myself. Right. And, uh, and, um, that's, you know, that's a big part of the message. It, it seems like you should just be able to explain it to somebody regardless of how you physically appear, but you know, that's not how humans generally operate. But, uh, but definitely, I mean, you're, you know, you're an incredible human specimen. So whatever you're doing is obviously working. So when you're working with your clients, I would think that it would be an easier sell, especially with these athletes, football players, basketball players, they can get behind this idea. Like, of course, the Holy grail for an athlete is if I can recover more quickly or, or not overtrain or not get sick or not get injured, that's like huge. Right. But the next thing is, yeah, but like, I need to, I need to be strong too. I need to be fast. I need to have power. Like, how am I going to get that eating this way? So how do you handle those kind of questions? It's bioavailable fuel. So when you consume plants in the rawest form, uh, it doesn't require a lot to break it down. It usually tax your digestive system. I think approximately about 80% of the body's energy is to break down a mm-hmm. meal. So when you consume like an apple or something, that's a fruit base or vegetable, it goes straight to the cell. So that's instant fuel. You know, it, it's funny when I used to think the same way from playing ball and playing, uh, lifting weights, you know, to get this, the big muscles and so on and so forth. And it wasn't until I realized that my grandfather was a, was a strong big man and, um, good quality muscle density and I started studying these indigenous cultures and they can run and climb trees at 60 years old and how could mm-hmm. they possibly do that eating all these plants so 
just made sense for, to me. But I had to do my research. I had to stay in the books for the last 15 years, especially in the medical realm, and uh, understand what it is that your cells need to rejuvenate and to work more efficient. Right. And, and this idea of bioavailable fuel is something that um, Brendan Brazier talks a lot about in his Thrive books. You have to look at net energy gain from the food you're eating, not just gross energy gain. So if you eat a, a steak, for example, it requires so much energy on behalf of your body to break it down that by the time that energy that is stored in that piece of steak is available to you, you've, you've already you know, expended so much energy to, to get there, right? Which is why you feel lousy after you eat it and all of that, as opposed to something that's easily broken down, a plant food that you feel great right after it. You don't have that heaviness. You don't have that food coma mm-hmm. that we all know about, like after eating lunch. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, um, that's because uh, it requires so much energy to break down the food. Your heart is about 7%. So you're moving around exercising that's another metabolically active area so what's going to suffer well gravity states this your brain it's about two and a half pounds so it requires a great deal of nutrients oxygen and that's why a lot of people are very lethargic uh, after they eat a meal because they're eating heavy meals and it's, it just doesn't have the nutrition and mm-hmm. that is required yeah it's it, yeah exactly and, and it gets to the point you were making earlier about your caloric needs and how people find it surprising that you don't eat that much. And that's another kind of common thing that I share with you because I've noticed the longer that I do this and the more I kind of refine it and dial it in and improve, um, that my caloric needs are going down. And like, I just rode, I just did a, I did a four hour ride this morning, right. On my bike. I had a bottle of water with me and that was all. And I wasn't like blasting as hard as I could. It was an aerobic zone two ride. But, you know, several years ago, I would have had to bring all sorts of food with me and I'd be right. panicked. I was going to bonk and all of that. And so part of it is I physiologically adapted to the stress of this kind of exercise. Like I'm used to it because I've been doing it so much. But at the same time, like I had for breakfast, I just had I didn't have juice. I was I already <laughs> had drank the one you gave me, but I had something similar. I had a Vitamix smoothie with kale and hemp seeds and flax seeds and beets and beet greens. And, you know, I just drank that. That was my, that was it. That was all I had for breakfast. Went out and rode and, uh, and I finished and I didn't feel tired. I felt good. I didn't feel starved and I'm amazed because I would think like I would be, and I think other people think, Oh, you must be eating all the time. But the point being that when I do eat, it's incredibly nutritionally dense, right? So, uh, I'm taking in calories, but more importantly, I'm feeding my body what it actually needs to live and thrive, like all the phytonutrients and micronutrients, all these kinds of things that we're talking about. And it's really interesting. You know, it's not something I would have thought would have happened, but it allows me to eat less and also keep my energy at a, at a peak high level, like throughout the entire day. Right. So you don't get those spikes and drop, you know, peaks and valleys in your insulin, which your body gets accustomed to. I think right. you know, insulin helps mediate glucose to go into the cell and mm-hmm. make it so that you have the energy that you need. And if you're eating things that make your insulin spike quickly and your insulin's going to be used to doing that, but then all of a sudden you're, like right. you said, training yourself over time. You're giving yourself, you know, your body is, understands and how to adjust itself and how to regulate itself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing I'll tell you on the, on the protein side is, uh, last year we, we come across, you know, like you, we've come across just unbelievably, um, you know, informed 
and just fascinating people who understand nutrition. There's one of the top nutri- sports nutritionists in the country is in Atlanta. And we were in his lab and got to, um, you know, just pick his brain. And he was, we told him the story how every time we walk into a gym, most of the people coming across Liddell for the first time, the guys is usually weight, mm-hmm. they want big muscles and they drink lots. They have lots of excess protein. Mm-hmm. And they say excess for a reason. Um, we were telling him how these guys don't believe Liddell when he says that he is a, you know, 80% plant-based and he's has this kind of muscle mass at, at his age. Right. You must, they, you must be lying. Yeah. They, they, and yeah. absolutely. It's almost like it's almost, or you're on the juice, right? Like secretly. Exactly. You know. That's exactly what they think. And it's almost gets a little contentious, but it was, he you're got, way too mellow to be on the juice. Yeah. No way. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. And so this guy, uh, you know, Dr. Benedot, he, he started, pulled up his computer and he just, he started showing us his data. And this is something that he's been working on a lot. And he, what he, he asked Liddell, how do you consume the juice? And Liddell said, well, before a workout, during a workout, after a workout. And he got even more excited. Mm-hmm. He started plugging in the information and showed us a graph of the balance. He says, what people don't realize is when they ingest protein, I mean, protein's got nitrogen in it, and that's going to help build muscle mass and any kind of tissue in the, in the body and for, you know, for repairing tissue. When people have these large protein loads, a lot of it gets process and goes it gets urinated out through the kidney makes a urea mm-hmm. you know and it right. prevents it from getting toxic well, liddell's mode his style of consumption was balanced anyway he showed us that liddell was optimizing the protein intake it is more bioavailable not all protein is created equally so that when it gets in and it's digested and your body can process it properly and send it to tissue that's repairing it can be more efficiently integrated into muscle tissue right so what he did is he showed us on his graph that based on the way liddell optimizes the timing and intake even if it's not high qual high high quantities of protein mm-hmm. it's higher in quality and the mode of delivery to the s- tissue is better so he optimizes his muscle mass based on that and what is that what is that rule of thumb like what is that protocol he's actually really dr benedict's writing a book I and mean, it's fascinating it's going mm-hmm. nothing's going to be called balance and it, it is specifically you know he, he has this whole formula about just how athletes can optimize their energy output based on that. So I don't know the, right. But in terms of like Liddell, like what you're doing, I mean like the general rule that I've always been told is, you know, within 30 minutes post exercise, you have this window where you want to replenish your glycogen stores Mm -hmm. and, you know, get those reparative amino acids in there. Um, and then you can kind of eat, you know, a little bit more later, but like you have that kind of special period of time. Is that kind of what you're talking about here or something else? Usually I'm between an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, uh-huh. When I'm consuming the juice, and it's usually an eight ounce post exercise. Yes, right. And sometimes when I'm working out, because I've recognized that um, <clears throat> from from practicing this for quite many years, that uh, it's also really good for workouts. Because I used to get lightheaded a lot, and you know, you always heard that you shouldn't eat at least two hours before you work out. And I've realized that from experimenting and doing case studies on myself that even when my energy level or my stamina starts to drop, I consume a, a, just a swig of juice and it just picks me right back up because mm-hmm. of the, the, the uh, bioavailable fuel that's in it. Right. And just to be clear for the listeners, because they might be confused with all this talk about protein, juice is just natural fruit and vegetable juice with nuts and seeds. There, there's no added protein. There's no like protein supplement that's added to this. It's all just natural, whole plant-based foods in this drinkable, chewable form. So that's interesting. I mean, that goes back to bioavailability. I mean, I think that's sort of, 
um, idea of, you know, don't eat two hours before, you know, your workout is an antiquated concept based on, you know, foods that are difficult to break down. All your blood goes to your gut and then you don't feel good or whatever. But if you're eating something that just assimilates so quickly, you know, there's no reason to, you know, wait two hour, you know, <laughs> to have that two hour window doesn't make sense. Right. Right. So. So I'm really interested in this dynamic between the two of you, um, you know, Sidget, your experience in medical school and kind of what you were exposed to or not exposed to in terms of nutritional education and kind of how you took that into your practice and then ultimately how that evolved as a result of, of uh, hooking up with Liddell. Yeah, well, it, it was it was interesting. I mean, like I told you earlier, you know, my a lot of my interest in medicine, you know, came from being an athlete and just playing every, you know, I was mm-hmm. just like a lot. What of sport did you play when you were a kid? Yeah, you know, I, I ran. I played soccer. I played uh, tennis, golf. All the you know people mm-hmm. joke at me with about golf, but the fact was, I just loved getting out in the yard and playing everything, and I loved also learning how things worked. And so I think that's kind of what drew me in medicine is sort of my interest as an athlete. I got to be a competitive squash player then, mm. um, um, you know, starting in college and afterwards for 20 years. Right. And where'd you go to, where'd you go to college? Went to, uh, Michigan. You went to, you went to Michigan. Yeah. So is that where you, is that where you met Sanjay uh, mm-hmm. at University yep. of Michigan? Yeah, we lived right? next door to each other uh, in the dorm, uh-huh. dorm our freshman year. Right. And so that's where we got. So you, were you in the same class? Yeah. So I, you were the same year? Yeah, we got, yeah. Oh, we, wow. we met on the first day of, uh, of undergrad. Right. And, uh, that's a trip. That was, you know, that's 27, 28 years ago. Uh-huh. It's kind of crazy <laughs> and hard to believe. But, know, uh, and you're still, and you're both in Atlanta now, which we is both, like we kind of, we, it was yeah, serendipitous. We both moved to Atlanta within four months of each other uh-huh. in 01. I was in Boston at the time and he was still in Michigan. Right. So he did the Inaflex program, right? Which is exactly. essentially you start medical school on day one of college yeah. and it's like a six year program, right? Yeah. So, so, so he's, he's like on the Doogie Hauser. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He, right. he and I were different. He was the gifted student who got everything right off the bat. I was the one who was like, you know, I was always out playing sports and doing stuff when uh-huh. I was a kid. So it was a little bit hard. I spent, I had to spend more time you know, with the books and really kind of apply myself for him. Congratulations. You're a human being. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a question whether or not he's a human being because uh-huh. he was, he just, it was gifted with yeah. that stuff. So it was, it was, a, it was an interesting disparity, but you know, going on to, you know, to medical school and learning, you know, the traditional way mm-hmm. we learn in medical school, what they don't prepare us for is how much our culture has changed in the last few decades. You know, the culture of eating, has changed a great deal. You know, our medical tradition is to learn how the body works and use current evidence, you know, with basic science to really understand how the cell works, how the body works. And so we're learned, we learn metabolism. We don't necessarily learn nutrition. Mm-hmm. And so and there's a big difference. And I think 30, 40 years ago, it wasn't as big a deal because we don't, we weren't facing the kind of problems we have now. Where right. We have an overabundance of chemicals and and especially starchy carbohydrates that just get stored as fat that you know these are sort of unintended consequence of of, of our progress and, and we don't have years and years of being able to study this imp- it's so new and it's happening so quickly yeah right absolutely and you know, this so all that most I, i'll argue with other doctors who you know they want oh, i want to do the atkins diet or i want to do and it's it's interesting just because we go back and then it's wondering we learned this physiology and uh, physiologically under, to understand how these things work. Yet we're just as, as, as sort of confused as everyone else out there mm-hmm. by all the things that are thrown at us. So, you know, I, my, my undergrad, uh, 
experience was more I did a philosophy degree and I was always interested in culture and that type of stuff. So I think what came full circle for me was as a doctor who's seeing all these changes in culture, my interest in culture movements, it all of a sudden it started making me reflect in a different way. And so Liddell helped provoke that even more because mm -hmm. then I started looking at it then nutritionally that, you know, what is the deficiency here? You know, is it every, the way we were taught um, in medical school, just it doesn't really prepare us then for what is going on, the, the physiologic response right. <clears throat> to all of this. But the, the, the medical school paradigm is really about kind of training your brain to diagnose and prescribe. And by prescribe, I don't just necessarily mean pharmaceutical, but some kind of protocol to address the symptoms and the underlying cause of whatever the ailment is, right? Right. right. I mean, it is, you know, that's what we're here for. We're here to try and treat problems. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we've been faced with more and more problems. We've eradicated and done a great job of finding the source and cause of, of infectious issues. Mm -hmm. And, um, been able to eradicate a great deal of disease. There's been great triumphs in the last several decades in the century. We're able to prolong lifespan from, you know, in, in 1900, the life, average lifespan was 44 for a, for a man. Right. And it went up to 77 100 years later. Now, based on the obesity problems that we're seeing and chronic disease issues, lifespan for the first time is set to go down in, mm -hmm. the, in the next century. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, there's something wrong culturally or, you know, in social movements that, that there's something wrong with that. So, you know, you're getting back to what this with, you know, Liddell provoked that kind of curiosity in my mind to say, you know, what is a problem? You know, and I consider myself a bit more like reformed in my thinking as far as what is it that right like enough with the grandfather right like that's what's really going on here yeah well but well that's and that's yeah. philosophically it's interesting uh -huh. because we have a great deal of knowledge um we don't apply a great deal of wisdom you know i think that that's a very astute statement about the state of our current culture you know i mean what happened especially in when we're talking about a native american culture that has sort of historically prided itself in great respect for its elders and, you know, the wisdom of, uh, of the elders. And, you know, a little aside story, Julie uh, grew up in Alaska. Her parents live in Alaska and her father is a hunter, fisherman, outdoorsman, extraordinary. The guy's like Indiana Jones, amazing, <laughs> right? But he's in the later years of his life and he's a civil engineer up in Anchorage. And, uh, you know, he's, 90 now, but not very many years ago when he was in his mid eighties, he was still working. Whereas if he lived in any other city, he would have been long retired. But because so much of that culture is based upon, you know, sort of native American, you know, Eskimo traditions of respecting their elders, they looked at him as somebody of great wisdom and they compelled him to continue to work and, you know, paid him very well to help construct these buildings. And he helped build the, you know, museum up there and all of that. And it's just fascinating. And that's a relic of a time past, you know, that doesn't really exist. Now it's sort of like, it's all about the 18 to 25 demo and like, what does a 14 year old girl think? And mm -hmm. like, when, when did that become, you know, sort of the, the demarcation line or the arbiter of like, you know, what we should or should not be doing in our society. And we've really lost that connection or that respect for, um, for our elders and, and wisdom. It's was, you know, there's a difference between knowledge and, and knowledge and information and wisdom. Yeah. There's a great deal of scientific knowledge we've gained and yet people don't, seem to be terribly interested in respecting even what 
science has taught us. They, we go on emotion. And mm-hmm. this marketing, you know, really, we found in the last 30 years, you can convince people to consume more of things they don't need. Mm-hmm. And the, mar- the economy grows. Is that a good thing? You know, irrational consumption is probably not the best thing for society all the time. We see it in healthcare all the time. Right. You know, so it's, it's a dangerous path sometimes, progress. Mm-hmm. And so you meet Liddell, he starts training you, and he starts working on you, right? Like, how, so <laughs> what's happening? Uh, I'm thinking like a lot of doctors, like, you know, herbs and, uh, no, that type of stuff with the, you know, plant-based foods. I'm thinking hocus pocus. Right. You know, it's like, uh, it's just. How conceived. many years, how long ago was this? This was uh, probably five years ago. Okay. So this was. Was this before Sanjay's documentary, The Last Heart Attack? Yeah. yeah. So it was before that. All yeah, right. it was uh. before that. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, again, it's this sense of, I don't, know, I don't know why we have this world of natural medicine and traditional medicine sort of seem to be at odds when there's so much that can be learned from each other. And that, you know, I think in, when you have more collaboration, I think there's a great deal that can, you know, going forward can have a great impact on preventing disease and, mm-hmm. and, and helping kind of people find ways to maintain their health and you know, better. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's been unfortunate. So, but it was, it was a hard process because, um, it required me going back and looking at books and kind of looking to check up on what Liddell was telling me. And then it was like, wow, that makes sense. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's intuitive. Plants have been around for, you know, hundreds of millions of years longer than we have. And, the you know in order to survive ultraviolet light um, bacteria fungi they produce chemicals in their own cells and the cellular structure that helped them survive better for the conditions of this planet Mm -hmm. and shouldn't it make sense that our cells which do share some similarities as far as fighting off ultraviolet light fighting off fungi bacteria all sorts of infectious problems that those chemicals plants have sort of adapted themselves to produce, that those things would also make sense for us to consume. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to get a body of research more, you know, more and more that is showing that, yeah, this makes sense. And 10 years from now, I think our thinking on it in the medical establishment will be much different than it is right now. Yeah, I hope so. Um, you know, I think it's a really interesting time. I've, I've found that people are way more open to this idea than they were even a year ago, let alone two years ago. And I think we're at this, you know, we're at this crossroads or we're approaching this kind of very powerful, almost Malcolm Gladwell-esque tipping point where um, our healthcare crisis is completely out of control. And the statistics are insane when it comes to heart disease and obesity and diabetes and all of these issues. Um, <clears throat> I think I saw 75% of all of our healthcare costs are attributable to, uh, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, and a couple forms of cancer like pancreatic and breast cancer, I think. Uh, and then 90 per- but 90% of those conditions are preventable or reversible predominantly through plant-based nutrition and lifestyle alteration. And when you look at that, it's insane. And then when you look at the population explosion and start thinking about like, well, how are we going to feed all these people? And you look at how inefficient and how ecologically damaging it is to raise livestock and to feed livestock for food. It's craziness, right? So the solution is right in front of us. Like if we all just started eating plant-based or at least more plant-based, we start to shift the paradigm and we start to address the problem. And, 
you know, reverse the damage and begin to, you know, forge a new path. Because, you know, I was listening to an interview with Mark Bittman recently. It was in, mm-hmm. it, you know, we do so much of our agriculture, um, the land we, ag- we allocate to agriculture is obviously predominantly corn-based. And if we were to get more fresh produce, even a small percentage, to, you know, if the demand was there for more mm-hmm. pro- produce, um, that, w- that would actually have a great impact. On, Huge. You know, the sustainability part of it. I mean, this to us is the idea conceptually that we're trying to do here is if we can create through a, a market-based product interest and demand for fresh produce, you know, you're also attaining to sustainability issues and more people can actually then consume food that's actually more local, that is mm-hmm. not 1,500 miles away, you know, we know the majority are, of our, our food comes from for the average American or you know, the unbelievable statistic about how, how small a percentage of uh, average Americans' diet consists of, you know, what you know, the CDC recommends as far right. as daily, um, you know, fruit and vegetable intake. And, you know, I, I can speak to it because I'm one of those people. Mm-hmm. You know, I am not completely plant-based. I eat, I, I, I eat a bit of everything. Oh, come on. But you hang around my house a little bit. Yeah. We'll see, we'll see what's I'm going sure on I'm sure that will change. Days. But Liddell changed it, and it, it, he changed that for me because uh-huh. he opened uh, What my, were you eating before you met Liddell and before you kind of, you sort of had, this was happening all around the time you turned 40, right? Right. So what was your diet like? prior well i was you know i was french fries steak um a lot of uh you know uh uh you know potato chips and you know it was a bit of everything i just when i i like to cook but i just i wasn't i didn't cook a lot of vegetable dishes right from you know parents were originally for indian descent so i was Mm -hmm. making make indian food and make curries and things like that but uh wasn't making the vegetable part of things Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of it, you know, and this is what's been kind of encouraging for us, our experience in Atlanta is that even when we come across average Americans or meat and potato type of people, that this opens their eyes. It was the same experience that I had. Wow. I like convenience. I don't want to, you know, I buy a bag of spinach that's already prepared. All I have to do is open it up, right. put in a bowl and throw some of the nuts and some little different things on there and maybe some dressing and there's a salad, but Somehow that became a challenge. Even if I had the bags in my fridge, fifty percent of the time, it'd go bad before I'd use it. Right. And you know, we so we like convenience, and so for me, having something like Choose that all of a sudden not just gives me the salad in a bottle type of thing, it gives me so much more as far as the micronutrients mm-hmm. and you know, good quality protein, and it changed me. I mean, it just I just found even times when I didn't have time to train because I was you know still working full time now, and being an entrepreneur is. Uh, is I just have a new respect for it, mm-hmm. but you know, it has been so hard, but I find myself still being able to maintain muscle tone, being able to maintain just sort of a lot of my own health that I know would have gone South had I not had something had access, such easy access to these great nutrients. Right. Right. So how you, so you're, how old are you now? Like 45, 46, 46. Okay. So you've been doing this for a little while. Yeah, it's yeah. It, but you know, three years at mm-hmm. least. And and explain a little bit about you, what kind of medicine you practice. So I'm a pediatric emergency room doctor. Mm-hmm. So I've uh, so I did my residency and my training was in pediatrics after med school and mm-hmm. did four years of that. And then did another three years as a subspecialty in uh, pediatric emergency medicine. 
Right. And so I just take care of kids in the emergency room. And, and you're being you're being quite modest though, because you were trained at Harvard, right? <laughs> uh, that was my yeah. that was my subspecialty uh-huh. training. Was in Boston. And you were were you at Mass General for your residency? No, uh, Boston Children's. Boston Hospital. Children's. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that was it was just it was a great experience. Yeah. I mean, but you know all of my training. I mean, I had you know in Detroit. I had a, just a mentor who got me to really love being a doctor mm-hmm. and um, really pushed me hard on appreciating what it is to be a doctor and the privilege it is. And Did you grow up in Detroit? Uh, actually, other side of Michigan, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh, Kalamazoo. Okay. But I spent a lot of time in right. Detroit. So yeah. I'm one of the few people. We talked there. about this, right? Because I'm from Michigan. I forgot too. that we're in Michigan. Well, I grew up outside of Gross Point. When I, we moved away when I was like seven. Okay. Both my parents went to U of M. Yeah. My dad went to law school there. My mom went to college there. And all my cousins went to U of M. So, yeah, yeah. My whole, you know, my, I have two sisters and a brother. We all, uh-huh. we were all U of M graduates. And, you know, my brother-in-law went to Michigan law school as well. And, oh, wow. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a Michigan family for sure. Oh, cool. Remind, there's something I want to show you when we're done with the podcast or remind me. <laughs> awesome. Right I will. Yeah, cool. Awesome. All right, but I interrupted you. Where was that with the... <clears throat> Pediatric uh, emergency room. Like, what kind of things do you typically see? I see, you well, know... That's got to be the worst of the worst. Children coming in in, in critical states. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, you know, fortunately, it doesn't happen as often as you think. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. we see, you know, horrible things. It's an emergency room. But uh, compared to adults who often do, we do a lot more damage to ourselves, mm-hmm. sometimes intentionally, you know, so adults, we don't see it in kids as much as, but we see a bit of everything. It's from, right. From, like the kid who swallowed the ping pong ball or you know, right. stuff like that. From, you know, yeah. So it's illness, uh-huh. injuries and the basic you know, the kind yeah. of stuff. And so I, I, I like it. I, I still, it's just, it's, it's a privilege. You get to be around people in their most vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. They're in an emergency room they're scared, you know, they hear oftentimes, fortunately, it doesn't even have to be serious things to us, but it's serious to them because, you know, they are immersed in information that does scare them. You know, we're just, we live in these, in the world now where people can, uh, you know, hear about a child who was abducted in Southern Utah within an hour or two after Mm -hmm. it might happen. That wasn't the community that we all grew up in. Our community experience is different. So 300 million people in this country, I think we have a sense that, you know, statistically that our risk for things happening in the, the worst case scenario is much closer than it really is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's been interesting. But I think what's been fascinating for me in just 13 years of practicing in Atlanta is the palpable change in obesity. Right. I mean, just when I, I come across eight, nine, ten-year-old children who are almost the same weight as me. And, you know, people have to ask me, well, you know, God, are you get upset with those parents who do that? Like they've, you know, they've done that mm-hmm. to their kids. And I think, you know, no, I, I feel a little bit sorry for them. This is the culture we, we live in is that they think loving their kids means giving them what they want, making them happy. And doing that is giving them more of the things that they're surrounded by. This is you're happy. If you're, if you want to be happy, right. eat this. And that's what our marketing provides you know us is the sense of yeah it starts with what's at the home and then it's what's on television and then it's what's at school you know and and what's at the friend's house so they're surrounded by it it almost you know choice almost gets removed from the equation because you know there's vending machines everywhere and soda machines everywhere and the school lunch is deplorable i don't know what it's like in atlanta it's yeah. terrible here um you know it's there's a lot of things that need to get sorted out to address this problem it's massive and it's it's i look at it again as an unintended consequence you know 30 40 years ago we talked about cholesterol being sort of like that was it that this is the main issue for heart disease 
So let's get rid of cholesterol. And what happened? We got, uh, you know, lower fat foods that were replaced with, you know, with more carbohydrates Mm -hmm. and in general carbohydrate, you know, we all, I always joke about with people when I was a kid, I remember even going to a fast food restaurant and getting a little tiny basket of French fries. Somehow physiologically our need as human beings has gone up tremendously where we would, most Americans would look at that little small serving, even the drink as well as laugh. Like, are you kidding me? Why would I drink right. that? I mean, that's, I, 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 well, you go to the movie and like the small Coke is like the largest thing you've ever seen. It's like, it's staggering. Yeah, yeah. It, it, is, it, <laughs> it is. You know, we treat, we treat, uh-huh. we treat, we're feeding our, you know, each other. We're, this is, I mean, I'd look at all of this as the, not trying to blame each individual, I mean, yes, personal responsibility is a big issue, but as a culture, you know, we have to blame and look at ourselves and say, this is a problem of culture. We've done this to ourselves. We allowed Mm -hmm. this to happen. We allowed it to become okay to physiologically, through a discounted meal, you know, consume, you know, 130, 150% more calories than we had to need to do in one sitting. So, you know, I, I, so I see this, you know, back in in my practice, I, I, you you can't, you know, turn a blind eye to you wonder, you know, and even for the, I, I see this with uh, the, the, uh, you know, gifted athletes that will come in with injuries. And I'll sometimes nowadays, my, my practice has changed where I'll ask them, I say, so what are you eating? You know, and mm-hmm. because you're, you know, this injuries, you know, taking a lot longer to heal and moms bring you in because you're worried about it. And, you know, I, I, it's interesting where I get to what Liddell, the influence he's had on me is to actually then you know, maybe sit down and spend a little more time and ask them. He said, you know, you, maybe you should be eating a bit more leafy green vegetables. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you take nuts and seeds too. And here's, I mean, you get some prime athletes. These guys are destined for something, you know, in college, in professional careers. And yet they're so uninformed with how much better they could be doing for their bodies. Right. So. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, I th- I'm seeing that beginning to change, but there is this predominant kind of conventional wisdom that when you're 18 or 21, it doesn't, and you're working out all the time, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's just like, it's like tissue paper on the flame and, and who cares as long as you're getting those calories in. And the truth is it makes a huge difference, you know, but it's hard to convince, you know, a young person of that, especially when they're getting stronger every day, doing whatever it is they're doing. Uh, so I think that's a challenge, but I think that that's really interesting. And I think that, you know, I say this all the time, like the difference between, you know, what's the difference between the guy who's getting the gold medal and the guy who's fourth and out of the medal count at the Olympics. And these guys are all freaks of nature and incredibly talented athletes who have devoted their entire lives to training for their discipline and have been, you know, going to bed every night without Olympic dreams since as long as they could remember. And, so what, what's the dividing line? You know, it's not really talent. It's that extra 0.05%. And a lot of that is boils down to nutrition, commitment to nutrition, and also like your mental or spiritual state of mind, you mm-hmm. know, which are the two things that I think are under addressed in athletic performance. And, you know, anybody who wants that extra edge, like I would <laughs> recommend that's what you invest in, you know, if you're going to do something outside of your training. Yeah. Well, you know, Liddell, and again, part of our when when our relationship started out, when I was the skeptic, he would tell me about uh, with his practice and how he would you know he would do a lot of herbs for his clients and mm-hmm. different herbs that he knew that he studied over the years to these this for potent anti-inflammatory potential, and then choose and what you know because this would a lot of these things would be in choose as well. He would tell me that oh you know so and so told me they're off their blood pressure medications and their doctor mm-hmm. can't believe it and you know there was that was a repetitive story. And I said, well, 
you know, that's great, you know, you know, and at this point, you know, I'm already kind of starting to become a believer. But I said, you know, it'd be interesting to collect data. I mean, I said, you know, in the end, you can't really tout things. That's a dangerous fine line you're playing if you're going and touting benefits. Because I said, your product, what you've created, you know, the innovation here is so good. Why waste it on gimmickry or, you know, trying to sell something that seems like snake poison to people? Because mm-hmm. that's unfortunately what they're used to. It works. People do it. I don't think snake, the snake oil from, you know, over 100 years ago, it's not a whole lot different than things that people buy you know, to the tunes of billions of dollars um, these days that really don't right. offer anything. I said, with this, you know, potential's great. Let's collect data. And so we were able to collaborate with an epidemiologist uh, last summer at uh, Emory's University School of Public Health and run a clinical trial on shoes. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was great with the whole process of getting involved with that, designing that, and, and trying to just look and see, you know, is there any validation to what Liddell was seeing in his own clients? It was neat. It was just, it was, it was, it was just, it was, it was great to see that come full circle. And right. Took, so what were the, spe- the findings more specifically? We, we looked at, um, Fasting glucose levels, um, so like so, you know, obviously pre-diabetes types of mm-hmm. features, and then um, we looked at pulse wave velocity. Uh, everyone knows that fasting glucose levels is it does show you a sense of your glucose control, your insulin responsiveness. Pulse wave velocity looks at your uh, your basically how stiff your vessels are, your artery. Mm-hmm. In this case, um, uh, it's like a brachial artery measurement, and it so that is a known correlative to risk for heart attacks and strokes, right. pulse wave velocity. So in the study, although we found a trend with fasting glucose, we didn't find statistical significance and change there, which is fine. I think uh, we probably needed to measure further out mm-hmm. just morning. But the pulse wave velocity, we found statistically significant change in the, we did 21 test subjects, 14 days in a row. They consumed the product at lunchtime as a meal replacement and didn't change anything else. This is just a pilot study just to kind of grossly look at some of these markers. And we found that uh, with 90, greater than 95% confidence, we can say that there, this was not a random change in their pulse wave velocity, so their, their cardiovascular health measurement, that there was dramatic improvement, just mm-hmm. not without any other lifestyle changes. Or so they weren't doing anything differently? They were just adding, drinking this every single day? They were replacing, for, this was lunch for I them. See. Oh, I see. Replacing lunch with this product. Yeah. <clears throat> and, Interesting. Uh, yeah, and, you know, not again, it, the Mediterranean diet, I mean, this landmark study uh, done in Spain, you know, published in New England Journal of Medicine last spring, and it was the same similar type of thing. Potent natural anti-inflammatory foods help to possibly, and what we think this is sort of the result here is that you can decrease the risk of stroke by providing your body with the right types of foods. Mm-hmm. People might say, well, is it maybe just the fact that they were avoiding the processed foods that may be provoking inflammation mm-hmm. and causing more problems, or was it because they were consuming this? You know, I think that still might be teased out more, that it might be a combination. But the fact is, we know now that it's not just cholesterol intravascular inflammation, the way our body regulates the inflammatory process, this is sort of the important feature mm-hmm. to all of this. And so, you know, it seems we think that our results hopefully get us to the next level and do something like the Mediterranean diet study. Right. Interesting. I mean, you know, in certain respects, you can generalize it by saying eating predominantly plant-based is very anti-inflammatory. Not every plant is anti-inflammatory, but by and large and on the, on the whole, if you're eating 
lots of plants, you're, you're going to be eating a pretty alkaline forming anti-inflammatory diet. Uh, by contrast, meat and dairy products are by and large, very acidic and very, uh, inflammation provoking, right? So when you look at it like that, and then you realize the connection between inflammation and chronic disease, it becomes like a no brainer to me. And yet we're at a, a kind of an interesting cultural moment right now where, um, you know, the paleo diet is very popular. You know, the Atkins diet is sort of making this resurgence and I have to be careful to not align those two because they, they get very testy about that. Um, and also, uh, along with that, this kind of sort of subset or sort of new trend of low carb kind of high fat, which is also ends up being very meat based along with that comes sort of this fetishization of eating lots of meat and like, it's super cool to eat tons of bacon and, you know, talk about how much bacon you're eating on Twitter and things like that. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, I don't know whether it's people like to hear good news about their bad habits, but this is kind of what is um, dominating the dialogue right now. And it confuses me and it's interesting. So I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on, you know, Liddell first, like what you think about that. I'm sure as a trainer, people are coming up to you all the time and saying, I'm on a paleo diet or I'm low carb or, you know, what about ketosis and all of this sort of thing? Because that's what athletes love to, they want to know about that. Well, first of all, I, um, I don't really uh, go against anyone's diet. I just uh, practice what I practice. Uh, this meat product that uh, the paleo practice, to my knowledge, in order to get rid of inflammation, you have to provide the pancreas with what it requires to run efficiently. In return, it secretes these proteolytic enzymes. All that means is protein-eating enzymes. You got trypsin and chymotrypsin. They go out and they get rid of what they call exogenous proteins. Those are, that's inflammation, and that's if you do eat meat, it helps you to break it down the mm -hmm. meat and you know make it uh, available. The problem is, is we're not consuming enough plants. But the paleo diet, I'm, to my knowledge, I think they're consuming quite a bit of plants, so they at least have that in their favor. But uh, yeah, it's it's very pro vegetable. Yeah. yeah. So, so they at least supplying the pancreas with what it requires to break the meat down. And if they are consuming lots of plants, it's going to help break down the meat. Me personally, I practice more of an indigenous kind of a diet. And that's, you know, if you, if you study indigenous cultures, they eat fish when they can catch fish. They eat a bird if they can catch a bird, but they mostly live off of plants. And that's what I learned. It was so similar to what my grandfather. I mean, I think me. that's really what paleo is as well. I mean, it's, it's really, you know, getting back to, I, th I think that like, you know, the animal products were the delicacies because they're more difficult. They're not as readily accessible. It required a, a tremendous expenditure of energy to hunt or fish right. or whatever, as opposed to just grazing on what the plants are in your mm -hmm. vicinity. Right. But sorry, I interrupted you. I didn't mean to interrupt No, you. no, not at all. That's no problem. So, uh, you know, I, I feel that uh, the paleo diet is probably one of the healthiest diets that's out there. I don't really believe in calling the way you eat a diet. I just believe in providing your organs and cells with what it requires to run efficiently. When people come to me, they 
yes, they asked me, how do you get your frame this and that big? Or how do you ride your mountain bike and, you know, work out as much as you work out? And I've learned to, uh, as I've gotten older, to feed the organ. So I'm more of a, I focus more on what can I give my pancreas today? What can I give my gallbladder? What can I give my liver to run more efficiently to help Hmm. with my aging process and help slow it down? Uh, so that's how I kind of it's it's a it's a lot of different facets with what I what I teach. But back to your question, uh, you know, paleo, I, I like it. Mm-hmm. I think the, those guys are definitely on to something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what about like ketosis and low carb and all of these? You know, these are these are other kind of trends that are happening right now. I mean, do you have, do you have guys that you're training that are like, yeah, I'm doing the low carb thing. I'm like no sugar. I'm, I'm trying to be in a ketogenic state all the time. That kind of thing. Well, I'm a complex carb type of a guy. So, you know, when you consume in, um, complex carbs anyways, you know, that you, you, you still get into carbs, refined carbohydrates and things like that. I, I just, I don't even consume it at all. Right. So you, you obviously like no crackers and things like that. No, and no breads. pasta and bread yeah. and stuff like that. But, but fruit, you know, eating lots of fruits and stuff yeah. like that. Lots of fruits. Yeah. And I will have sweet potato. That's pretty mm-hmm. much, uh, the only potato I consume. Right. And the beautiful thing, the sweet about, potato is like the perfect food. Uh, yeah, I was, yeah. I grew up eating sweet potatoes. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of the reasons why it's in, uh, the juice is because it's, uh, it's a power punch for your fuel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what is your perspective, Doc, on all these 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 sort of various diet trends that are happening? Uh, I agree with what Dell says. I mean, what I like about his approach is that he's always preached moderation. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is, you know, I think people try to use a diet trend to help substantiate things they like. So, you know, I think when people take extreme, and with, I think I think paleo, I mean, it's it's it is what I love about it is that it's physio- physiologically based. People can make it into a glorified Atkins if they really want to emphasize that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, here I am, I'm talking. About, I I like bacon. I won't mm-hmm. have it, but I don't. I don't convince myself that I need to have you know a pound of bacon every day. Um, I think what what their disagreement was is that people don't. They're trying to look at our ancestral kind of nature and say what is it? What did our ancestors consume? Especially like Nadell talked about indigenous cultures or just overall in some of the ancestry theory. We're not sure, but if you think about it. You know, physiologically, our ancestors, for the most part, most likely just consumed plants, and having meat was a um, sort of a, a rare occasion, and um, right, know, and it was something that you would then you know consume um, on those rare occasions. But for the most part, complex carbs, are, you know, are needed in our diet. I mean, the fact is, is this physiologically we do need it. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is so the first paper on the paleo diet actually came out of two professors from Emory University. Um, I think it was 1982. It was published. Was Lauren Cordain or was... Uh, this is Melvin Connor and I forgot the second author's name, but they're both mm-hmm. at Emory. And they, um, so this was New England Journal of Medicine. And, you know, in their follow-up paper, they, you know, Melvin Connor had discussed some of the issues about sort of the disagreement as to how much the meat plays a role in the, you know, the physiology. But the, prob- the, you know, interesting thing he took into it was obviously talking about the omega-6, omega-3 fatty acid ratios. But what I found fascinating was he said physiologically the type of carbohydrates we eat or that our cells need really kind of 
equate to about 80% of our intake of carbohydrates should be complex carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. 20% should be, can, you know, can be from these added sugars, refined carbs, etc. But the problem in our culture, it's flip-flop. 80% right. of our intake is these refined carbs and added sugars. And it is, that's, you know, what happens. Our bodies are smart. Our bodies have learned how to survive for a long time. And so those carbohydrates, if you want to quote them, you know, quote unquote, the bad ones in excess, they get converted to fat. Mm-hmm. So everything is about, you know, all these, a lot of these different diets and things, they are trying to attain to the same thing. I mean, the fact is your cells need carb- carbohydrates. And to, to put yourself in a, a state of ketosis, you're not doing your body any good. Right. You know, I take care. You will lose weight, but it's, it's like a crisis state mm-hmm. for your body, right? Right. Why put the extra stress? I mean, the fact is people don't realize that when you're eating the right type of carbohydrates, you actually have an opportunity to burn more fat um, in, physiologically, you know, when you are balancing things properly. Mm-hmm. And eating the right types of fats, where people, finally people are starting to catch on, also helps your body you know, work better as far as, you know, uh, inflammation. Right. So. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I think that <clears throat> you know the the, the quote unquote diet wars. You know, he's like you can go around this. I say this all the time, but like you can go around that merry-go-round, and you see all the debates and the infighting, and even within the plant-based community, there's the eighty ten ten. You know, fruitarian people, and then there's the the sort of you know higher fat you know plant-based people, and then there's the ethical vegans and then there's the paleo there's I mean it's like you can slice it in so many different ways and everybody has their unique perspective and I think that there's all this kind of debate between these camps and at times we lose the forest for the trees right we lose the we we lose perspective that we have this massive obesity problem and you know kids are getting fat and that most people are, you know, eating at McDonald's every day or some similar facsimile of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we need to be able to, it's not about preaching to the choir or trying to convert somebody who's paleo to vegan or convince them that you're right and they're wrong. It's about touching these people that really need better education that are, you know, operating in a completely different world without any information whatsoever about how to, you know, course correct the crash course with poor health that they're on, you know, from a very early age. And so how do we, you know, how do we, how do we do that? How do we take this dialogue and reach people better than we are currently? I think you have to offer them better choices. Um, you know, education can go so far and people get mm-hmm. education through, you know, the wazoo, you know, just anywhere they go. And there is great information there for people to get, right? Just uh, look on the internet for them to learn. But mm-hmm. kind of like... You know, I, I do look at this as sort of an addiction to our, we're addicted to excess. We convince ourselves to, you know, consume the way we want to. And I think the marketing out there convinces us as well, supports that notion. You know, you worked hard today. You, you know, you should, right. you should. You deserve a break today. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, eat how you want to. I mean, I see this in, I was told, well, this, uh, one of my favorite, uh, kind of, I used to love Saturday Night Live growing up and those fake commercials were always funny to me, but there's a lot of satire out there and even just what I think would have been a satire years ago, like, uh, you know, Larry, the cable guy pitches for Prilosec and he's, you know, he's basically saying, don't, you know, avoid the pain, just take the pill. Right. right? Continue to eat like an insane <laughs> right. person. <laughs> don't put down the Philly yeah. cheesesteak yeah, exactly. sandwich, just take the pill. Right. right. But it's an, we have an addiction to excess and addiction problems really, we, I think studies show that take people out of that habitual environment that 
really supports the addiction problem. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I think if it's you're offering them more choices. And so this is where I really felt like what Liddell's brought to market and why I became passionate about helping him make this into a success is because of the potential impact it could have. This is actually a product, a consumer product, an option to give people, not just the product itself. Because mm-hmm. Even if it means it starts a dialogue, eat real food. Spend, right. spend more time in the fruit and vegetable section, the grocery store. I saw, I think that is where we have to go. This is why I think this is an important concept and movement to get behind because, you know, to me, if there's 20 companies making something like choose three, four years from now, that's a success. Mm-hmm. That means that the market has determined that we need better choices like this that make us healthier. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think convenience is huge. Uh, you know, taste is important. And as you were explaining that, I was thinking about this elementary school that I visited in Queens last year, about a year ago, um, the first public school in the country to institute, you know, plant-based school lunch, but they're growing garden. It's more than just that. It's like, well, the whole elementary school is all about wellness and they're growing their own food and they're teaching kids how to cook and doing all this really cool stuff. And this is how these, this is what these kids are exposed to. This is their new normal. And this is what is going to inform their choices. You know, when they're imprinting their brains at that young age, they're going to carry that for the rest of their life. And, you know, what an amazing, awesome example uh, that we could replicate in other schools and then compare that to the typical school lunch and what's available. It's insane, you know, and we need to get beyond these petty arguments and look at this bigger issue. You know, I, I was talking about this the other day. There's a documentary that's about to come out. It's called Fed Up. Have you seen the trailer for it yet? No. It's interesting. Uh, and it's, it's poised to uh, really be uh, accessible to a mainstream audience like Katie Couric is narrating it and it's being produced by Lori David who was uh, Larry David's I think they're divorced now uh, ex-wife um, who's a big environmentalist but these are like you know these are big time people right there's a, this is like a mainstream documentary and it's really about taking a look at childhood obesity from the perspective of our obsession with sugar at least that's what I gathered from the trailer, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to tell what the whole movie is about, but it looks like that's really the focus. I posted it on my Facebook page and I said, oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie. And a very interesting debate ensued in the comments where some people were like, oh, that's awesome. And then other people are like, no, it's not the sugar, you know, it's the meat products and it's the fat and it's the dairy. And, and then suddenly everyone's fighting and it all just disintegrated into like, you know, a, a nasty, you know, kind of spiteful, barb throwing exchange. And all I was saying is like, listen, if we can get more Americans talking about these issues, that's a good thing. Like maybe this isn't the documentary specifically or exactly that I would have made if I was the filmmaker, but look, you cannot dispute the fact that sugar is, you know, our massive, you know, addiction to soda is contributing to this childhood obesity problem. Like we need to tell him, we need to do something about this, regardless of your perspective on animal protein or, or what have you. And most Americans, you know, really are not, they don't have the education on this in, in, at the very baseline. So this is going to get people talking. This is a good thing. Right. And this is, goes to my point of like, how can we reach people better, more effectively? And, you know, I love the idea of creating a product that is filling that need. And one of the things we were talking about when we were on the phone was, uh, you know, this sort of tradition with, or not tradition, but this trend that's happening now with all of these um, press juices that are coming out, whether it's Suja or Blueprint, 
And these are very high-end products, right? They're very expensive. Like I think Blueprint's like $12 for 16 ounces. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the idea of eating well or eating plant-based suddenly becomes the purview of the rich and famous. Like you have to be, you know, have to be the hoi polloi. You have to be very Mm -hmm. well healed in order to afford these juices and it becomes elitist, you know, it's like, oh, well, I, I would eat well if I could, but I can't. So I'm going to go to McDonald's and or Taco Bell. I could feed my family for four dollars, you know, for the price of one, one blueprint juice. I could feed a family of six for dinner, you know. Right. right. So where where are you positioning juice in terms of that, in terms of price point, in terms of like the people that you're trying to connect with? Well, it's a, I'm a great question. I, I, what we'd like to do is first show the concept works that people are interested mm-hmm. in such a product, and in low scale where we are, it's expensive to make. Mm-hmm. So it's going to start out right until you scale and you can make it more affordable. Absolutely, right? and that's we're not too far off from that. I think we get our ner- initial concept uh, stuff starting taking off, and then it, it becomes cheaper to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the target for us is not just to go onto the shelves of Whole Foods and these places where I think it could be very easy and attractive to just, hey, I can make a good margin here, you know, and this mm-hmm. is, I'm going to want to grow this. But that's not, to me, it's a doctor and what Liddell has sort of, you know, what he's articulated and what he wants to see, that, that this is something where if we can bring that price point down and make it accessible you know, to everyday Americans who go to a convenience store, go to a gas station on their way to work, we want to bring it down to, I don't know, well under five, four dollars for a nice mm-hmm. small package size that can be a you know breakfast on the go. Right. You know, somebody over there going to work out, or some kid you know who's in South Atlanta who's going to go play with his friends, and instead of grabbing a you know a king, rock star, or yeah, the, or a, yeah. or a twi- or King Dong or something at, at the uh-huh. convenience store, that they have an option like this. I think the mainstream potential, our experience in Atlanta has been that people would be surprised that meat and potato people who get it, they're like, my grandmother would want me to eat like this, mm-hmm. so why not? You know, and, right. and, and so we, are, we feel like this is you know, the culmination of knowledge and wisdom. Mm-hmm. The wisdom of our past, you know, this ancestral knowledge that Liddell's grandfather passed on to him, and uh, you know, with the, mixed in with the science that he's come to you know, pull out in himself and just incredible capacity, I think, to, to synthesize so many great facets, the world of herbs, the world of juicing, the world of, of nutrition and what nuts and seeds offer. And, you know, this culminates into a product that is just, to me, has got the game-changing potential if we do it right. But, you know, we just, again, that's where the concept is. is I think we're hoping the timing is right and that people mm-hmm. get the concept because I, we... I mean, and not to go on too much right now, uh, healthcare spending 17% of GDP. Uh, by 2025, the, the, S, the forecast, it'll be 25% of GDP. Mm-hmm. If we can't find solutions now to these pr- problems that we're facing with obesity, our, our, the, our, the economic impact is, uh, is unbelievable. We're going to cripple our economy. Right. I mean, just, you know, setting aside any interest in health or nutrition or diet whatsoever just on pure economics. Like we should all be concerned about this. Like if we want to be a prosperous nation, if we want to, you know, remain, uh, you know, sort of top of the food chain in terms of like what we can provide for our citizens, this has got to be dealt with, or we're going to, our country's going to look very different in not too many years. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So cool. Well, I think that's a good place to finish it with you guys. Um, that was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm excited about it. It's, uh, I know how much work it is to try to, you know, start a business, especially in the food products. I mean, it's got to be a tremendous amount of work and you guys are in the early stages, but it's cool to see you guys getting some good early feedback and some cool opportunities. And it's going to be really fun to kind of watch the trajectory and the progress of, of this product. And I wish you guys well. I appreciate it. And thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, cool. So if you're in, uh, LA or in the Malibu area, cruise over to PC greens on, on the Pacific coast highway. You could pick it up there. There's nowhere else in, there's nowhere else in this area where you could buy it retail right at this moment. So yeah, this is like a pilot we're... product, right? Exactly. All right. So everybody go to PC greens and pick it up because, uh, if they sell out there, then, then, uh, that means that it, it is a successful pilot project, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then are you guys selling retail in Atlanta? or absolutely. You are? Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll be launching Whole Foods. The plan is next month. Oh, cool. But it is available. Uh, people you can, can buy it online. Online. People, right. Anyone can get it uh, in, the, in the continental U.S. They can get is it, it just choose.com? Yep. Yeah. Yep. C-H-U-I-C-E.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, you shared with me that really cool uh, video with Liddell. Is that on the Choose website or... It's, I think it's on our Facebook page. Uh-huh. We're, we're still, you're right, we've been so busy, we haven't really updated right. certain things that we'd like to. So, How many, um, besides you two guys, how many people are working for Choose now? We, yeah, I think we are, we're up to, uh, we have four on the production crew, and we mm-hmm. have our, our operations chief, Tommy, and uh, our summer sales team. Twelve. But, yeah. About twelve. Twelve, yeah. Lean and mean, man. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So what's next after... Uh, California. Get back and get back to work, get prepared for getting our sales team prepared for launching Whole Foods and uh-huh. uh, building, trying to build a, a solid company. Right. So the Whole Foods is going to roll out just in the Southeast first or? Yeah, we're just going to start even with just one store in Atlanta right. and try and get into the whole South region of mm-hmm. Whole Foods within a year. Right. Interesting. That's cool. And we were talking about this on the phone too, that it's interesting that you're, you know, that, the, that you guys live in the Southeast and that that's where the company is and that's where you're starting. And, you know, it's not Venice, California, you know, it's not uh, Manhattan, you know, it's like, so if you guys can win over the people there, then that's going to be, you know, a good sign for uh, the rest of the U.S., I think. Right. So, so it sounds like you have people down there excited about it and lots of people are enjoying it. So it's cool, right? Yeah. It's exciting. It's a labor of love. Yeah. All right. How long you been working on this, Liddell? Uh... Approximately 25 years. 25 years. So you, so you started, um, you were just making this yourself and, you know, playing around with it or. Yeah, I was making it myself and I would say four years ago, I put it together and went to a health store in Atlanta in a half, in a, actually a gallon. It looked just like chopped up lawn grass. Uh And I went in and I spoke with the owner of the health store and especially after I got done with all the medical books. And I said, this product right here is going to save your life. Uh I said, try it. (laughs) And he tried it and he liked it. And then I went on and told him all the properties that it had in it and what it would do for his body. And he loved it. And it was, it was, it was, it was an experience because he was selling it out of his health store with no labels whatsoever, but people were coming in and just constantly Mm -hmm. buying it. So I went to the next health store, did the same thing. I'd say I practiced that for at least three months with no labels. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how people love this product. And now uh, I connected with Sujit and 
we just built a team and now it's uh, we're right. out here on the west coast uh, a lot of people out here are receiving us very well i, I mm-hmm. really enjoy being here for the last eight days that i've been here yeah, cool. Well, yeah, I mean, you're this is a welcome environment for, you know, what you have to offer. Yeah. And just before we close it out, I, I realize, like, I don't know if we've, but we're totally clear about how, you know, it's sort of chewable juice, but all right, what does that mean? So basically, it's, 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 it's part juice where you're juicing vegetables and fruit, right? Right. And then the other part of it is like masticated seeds and nuts and like some fibrous pulp, yes. right? From from the juicing that's sort of incorporated in there. So you're drinking it and then you'll get a little, some, you know, like sort of like nuts to chew on that are part of that. Nuts and and again, it sounds weird, but it's actually really, it's, yeah. it is, tastes really good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you um, very much. Yeah. We'd like to patch it as a, it's real food. I mean, and right. I think it's hard because juice implies a sense that it's a juice, but the fact is it's more food uh-huh. and, uh, you know, or part of the same family of other juice products out there, obviously, but we're taking it to another level because, you know, there's no juices out there that have this much fiber, have this much protein, this much uh, essential fatty acids. Mm-hmm. And so it is different, you know, it's right. next phase. Right. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Liddell's going to bench press me now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for coming by. Thank, Thank you. you. Peace. Peace. Plants. All right, everybody. That's our show. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you, uh, Doug, listening to those guys as much as I enjoyed sitting down and talking to them. Uh, Let me know what you think. Leave a comment at richroll.com on the page for this podcast and express your thoughts. If you want to know a little bit more about what I'm up to, go to richroll.com. You can check out my blog posts there, uh, more podcast stuff. We have an iOS app coming soon for the podcast, Rich Roll Podcast app. Pretty excited about that. Keep you posted on that. All your plant power provisions. We got garments, we got hats, we got beanies, we got nutritional products, we got digital products like our cookbook and our meditation program. You guys know where to go. Just go there, check it out. Uh, If you are feeling stuck in your life, looking for a little additional inspiration and a roadmap out that might possibly sort of extend out of this podcast, go to mindbodygreen.com and you can check out my new video course there. It's called The Art of Living with Purpose. And uh, it's basically uh, in excess of two hours of streaming video and an online community and downloadable tools, everything you need to know to kind of uh, establish and execute upon a goal. And more importantly, uh, like the theme of this show, begin the process, uh, undertake the journey to unlock and unleash your best, most authentic self. So um, that went up recently and you can find it on the homepage at mindbodygreen.com. That's it. So want to support the show, uh, tell a friend, that's the best way always. Uh, but if and when you're going to buy something on Amazon, use the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com, clicks you over to Amazon, buy what you're going to buy. doesn't cost you a cent extra, but Amazon kicks up some loose change. And that is a great way to support the show financially without having to go out of pocket yourself. So we appreciate everybody who's been doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can also donate to the show. There's a donate button at richroll.com. And again, my favorite way of spreading the good word and sharing uh, this content virally is uh, when you guys are posting Instagram pictures of listening to the show. You're out in a run, you're listening to it, you're commuting, or just a screen grab of your mobile device listening to the RRP. I love that, you guys. So keep it up. Uh, Make sure you tag me so I can see it and uh, comment on it. And uh, that's it. Uh, I promise I will be back with you guys next week with another great guest. 
And until then, why don't we do this? This is our assignment for the week. Let's just be a little bit more mindful about what we're putting in our mouth. That's different than judgment. I'm not saying judge yourself or judge other people. Just be present and mindful. Develop a greater sense of awareness or consciousness about your choices, why you're putting whatever it is you're putting in your mouth, whether it's good or bad. So ponder that, and I'll see you next week. Peace. Plants. Yeah.